0: Well, if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, we'll hop right into the Word. So uh, let's, let's begin by... Uh, we're actually going to keep, keep your Bibles open to Acts. I want to read the first four verses of Luke as well. So I'm going to start there and then I'll go to Acts 1. So Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us... Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, this is Luke speaking, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So that kicked off the the gospel of Luke And is writing to a a, a believer, perhaps a new believer, but to just ground his faith. And then I'm going to go now to the book of Acts. Acts 1, 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. now let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, the time we now have to, to walk Together in your word to Lord to to see what was happening in this this early church the new community uh, named and, and centered around you Lord Jesus the risen Lord the one who is now ascended at this point point. And, and Lord I, I thank you for uh, just what we see happening here we get to see a community that is just rejoicing and praising you and together having a testimony. So, Lord, as we, as we walk, continue our walk through the book of Acts, God, I pray that, uh, that we would remember to, to think like they did, Lord, to imagine what would be happening, and Lord, to ourselves think about what is my response to you? How do, how do I show my life, uh, in my life, uh, the impact you've had? And Lord, I pray because of this, we would be a church that's ever-growing in our passion for you to declare your greatness in this community. To be a, a, a community, this, a, a community called by the name of Jesus, but known for declaring your greatness in, in this community. So Lord, I, I pray that that would happen. I pray that you'd use uh, this, this book to ignite in us a greater desire to, to shine for you. So Lord, I thank you. We just pray for your blessing now. May you be glorified as we uh, dig into your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a few weeks since I was here, so I wanted to remind ourselves where we've been, what we've talked about, what this, what this book is about. Uh, Luke, a, a traveling companion of Paul, most likely a Gentile, the beloved physician he was called. He was a traveling companion of Paul, and, and he was around this, the early church. And so he wrote these two, these two volumes to ground a believer, Theophilus, in his faith, and to establish what he had learned by many proofs. And because of that, this is so valuable for us. Because this grounds what we believe in. And, and, what's, and being a person who loves history, I love this because he puts constant markers. Names, governors, places, people, cultural uh, uh, spe- specific details. And we'll see that as we go on. Where it, just, it shows that this is not a myth. This is real history with real people. And, and this is, it's to build our faith. So I, I'm, I've been just enjoying digging into this. And so as we come back, let me remind ourselves what we've covered. It, we're in the period between the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension. All right? We, we've come, gone all the way up to his ascension. But during that 40-day that period, what did he do with his disciples? And, and, the, and this, more than just the 12, he was re- instructing them. He was reteaching them in many ways and opening their minds to the scriptures. And, and he's helping them understand. Whereas before, when Jesus talked about, hey, I have to go to Jerusalem to die, what did, the, what did they do? They opposed him. They said, what are you talking about? Or they just didn't get it. But here they're starting to understand. He's reteaching them. And, and, and after these 40 days, what is it that they ask him? They ask him, hey, are you going to restore your kingdom now? I mean, they've got the, the Messiah, right? Jesus, though he was crucified on a cross, he, he proved, proved to the world that he's, he's not just some person. He proved that he is God. Now, he didn't appear publicly to everybody. He appeared to his disciples. But in their minds, well, hey, of course it makes sense. You're the Messiah. Let's Is the kingdom going to be restored now? And, and he had to tell them no. They weren't wrong in thinking about the coming kingdom, but he, they were wrong as to timing. He says, I've got a new task for you. You're going to be my witnesses. Their new job, were not, their job, because they thought they were going to be the, the, the judges over the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what Jesus had told them. You're going to be the ones who will, who will be sitting on thrones with me to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. But he says, no, you have a different task right now. And their tasks were to be heralds, announcers, proclaimers of the gospel about this Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. So he, he's told them, "Hey, you're going to be my witnesses, He tells them' it's to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they have a new task, and then that's we come up to that point where he ascends and he leaves and they realize, okay, now we need to wait. All right, So that's the period we're in on verse 12. And we see that uh, they, they are told to go back to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read to you the end of the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 24 or in 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. If you remember, just thinking about what would you have done seeing this happen? He's he's going up on the clouds right in front of you, and they're staring up. And then what happens? Well, the two angels show up and say, "What are you looking at?" Well, of course, what are we looking at? We just saw that Jesus just descended on the clouds. They said, "Hey, now go to go to Jerusalem. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit." And here's what they did in verse fifty-two and fifty-three. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So now this, this group heads back down uh, back, well, down the, the ravine and then back up to Jerusalem, just across the valley there. And they're to wait for this power, the Holy Spirit that would guide them, instruct them, lead them, comfort them. This power that they would need to do this job. But we'll see in these verses, verses 12 through 26 tonight, that it wasn't a passive waiting. They didn't wait around playing video games, reading a book. They were active. They were an active group. So in verse 12, this is where we'll hop into our around tonight. We see this new community that was waiting patiently. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. A Sabbath day's journey uh, so what that is, the rabbis, before Jesus' time, had figured out that to obey the command in Exodus 1629, not to do any work on the Sabbath, it's a, a holy day of, unto the Lord, that the furthest distance you could walk was from if the, when Israel was in the wilderness, the tabernacle was right in the middle of the camp of Israel, and the furthest tent away was about a thousand meters Okay, that's according to Numbers 35, 5. So the rabbis figured it's about a thousand meters or just over a half of a mile is as far as you could walk without breaking the law. Why tell you that? Well, it's in scripture and that's what it meant. It wasn't that far. It's about a half a mile walk, just a little bit further. So they again they walk down down this, this steep hill. How many of you have been to Israel? And on the Mount of Olives? Yeah, pretty steep walk down, but it's not that far. Matter of fact, what do you hit at the bottom? Of the ravine before you head back up the garden gethsemane where jesus prayed i mean it's in the shadow matter of fact where i stood i have a picture where i can see the top of the dome of the rock from where we're standing it's just amazing so the geography is so packed right in there but so they they walk in and they went worshiping it says in luke 24 they're worshiping and blessing god but when they got there they weren't idle Right? And this is this is where we see this new community. They were united in prayer and they were public in their praise. Let's get into verse 13 and 14 here. And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upper room where they were staying: Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we have this small community, but it was a strong community. And first thing I want to say about this is that we'll see in in the book of Acts that Luke, and also in the gospel, he highlights women. Again, you mentioned that this morning, that it was countercultural to mention women. Women weren't allowed to testify in a court of law, and yet who were the first witnesses to the resurrection? Women. Matter of fact, they weren't even believed by the first disciples when they heard the story. But he highlights these women, and and it was the the women that, you know, who would be there are the ones who accompanied and supported the ministry. Jesus and disciples were supported financially by some women. mentioned in Luke chapter 8 and 23 and 24. But we also have Mary pointed out. Now, what do we know about this? What do we have here with uh, Mary. If you're a Roman Catholic, that's who you pray to, right? But here, does she pray to at all? No. She's praying together with the rest. They were praying to God, right? She's never mentioned again, by the way, in the New Testament. So while she was certainly blessed by God, was she revered and worshipped? Not at all. Not at all. There's also the brothers who are mentioned here. We know from Mark 6 that he had at least four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, James, again, he's mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 15 as one of, one of the men who were singled out to see the resurrection. His half-brother thought he was a crazy, according to John 7. The brothers, all, his family thought that Jesus was crazy, and yet a few months later, they're now declaring what? Oh, my brother is God. Doesn't that sit weirdly with you? Oh, my half-brother, he's God, Right? And so they're, they're pointed out, so they were there. So something, we also have Judas. I mean, I preached through Judas. He wrote an epistle, and he, he saw his, his brother also as God. So what happened in these few months, only the resurrection explains it. The resurrection changed everything. This community was a changed community because of the risen Christ the reigning one who's now ascended to the right hand of the father. And now they're just, they're united in their worship of him. And they're waiting for his promised spirit. It says that they were with one accord. Again, this is so important. They were with one accord. They were united. We see this, that they were they were a body that was stood together, praised together, prayed together. The early church's testimony, as you read through the book of Acts, is a group of testimony the church stuck together it was a new people. Acts 246 we'll be getting to that but again it says, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Together they prayed for boldness in the midst of persecution they faced persecution together. Again, I I have to emphasize this because we are in a culture that's individualistic, and we have to do a better job of thinking of ourselves, not Christians who go to Bethany, but we are Christians who are a, a, a body at Bethany. We are the body of Christ in this local manifestation of it. We are family. In Acts 4.24, it says this, and when they heard it, heard about what had happened in the persecution, they lifted their voices together to God. Their response to persecution was to come together, not isolate and hide, but to run together. In Acts 5.12, it was, it was the regular practice of the community to be together. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together together. In Solomon's portico, when there was a controversial decision, and, and the, in Acts 15, we have the, what's called the, the Council in Jerusalem, where they're deciding what is the gospel and what are the implications? Does, does a Gentile have to become a Jew to be truly saved? And they had a contra- it was a controversy in the early church. And when they came to a decision, they showed their unity of purpose by sending out a group. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas carrying the letter. They sent out other men with them to show a unity of purpose. The church was unified. And they were unified in prayer. It says they were devoting themselves to prayer. That means they were earnest in their prayers. Constant. They were waiting for the Lord's spirit. They are obeying his will. Prayer marked the early church. While waiting for the Spirit, they prayed. Now, Luke tells us that they also were in the temple, day by day doing what? Praising God. So it was a very active wait for them. But they were a praying church. Let me, I'm gonna I mention Acts 4.24 when they when they when they heard about the persecution, they prayed. But let me read you read you the rest of it. Acts 4.24 through 30, if you want to flip over a few pages. And when they heard it. This report from Peter about what had happened, this persecution and the demand of the Sanhedrin that they stop preaching. And Peter says, no, we have to, the Lord, what we've seen, the Lord's command us. we've got to keep preaching. But when they heard this, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They, in the midst of persecution, they prayed. What did they pray for? Boldness to proclaim the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus, the risen Lord. In Acts 16, while Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi, what did they do? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Prayer and singing. Prayer marked the early church. They're jailed. And what are they doing? They're praying and they're praising. We see when Acts when in Acts 20, when Paul is saying goodbye to his beloved friends, he had spent three years with the men, the, the elders of Ephesus, and he was on his way back to Jerusalem. And this is probably the last time he would see them. And he knew it, and they knew it. And what did he do? And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then what happened? There's a lot of tears. Prayer, prayer, prayer marked the early church. And so it must be here. So I love Sunday nights. I love our services where we have prayer afterwards. Again, when I first started coming over a year ago to this just visiting, it was uncomfortable because we're not in a culture that does that. But to pray together, it's so important. It's got to mark us because God works through the prayers of his people. Because what does prayer say? God, we can't do it without you. And that's the best place to be because that's not, we're not relying on our gimmicks, on our strength, on our wisdom. We're crying out to God, right? That's what we have to be. We have to be sold out to prayer. I like this quote. Prayer is weakness. Leaning on Omnipotence. Isn't that great? Because that's what it is. We're leaning on God because he's the one who's the powerful one. Another quote is, Our prayers unite us in God's concern for the harvest. Make us of one mind, one heart, and will with him, partners of Jesus himself. Prayer takes our eyes off of us. It makes us think about God's grander plan. And truly, like the the early church prayed, they prayed for boldness and courage in the midst of persecution. May we do the same. Not, Lord, oh, we have such terrible time, and oh, Lord, please take this from us. It's not bad to want an end to persecution, but may our prayer first be, God, help us to have a testimony that shines brightly and is clear and bold. Amen? Amen. It's the early church. They were united in prayer, and again, they're united in praise. Luke 24 says they worshipped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They were marked by great joy. May we be a church marked by rejoicing. When they see Christians, they should see people full of hope and joy. Is life hard? Absolutely. Do we suffer through it? Yes, we do. But man, can we have joy in the midst of it? Yeah, we have to choose joy. Consider it all joy. Joy, when you encounter trials of various kinds, that's a choice we have to make. And it's a choice we can make, not because we're into positive thinking, but because of the God we believe in, because of the object of our hope. May we have the same joy but again, here back in Acts, something was missing. So they're, they're waiting uh, on the Spirit to come, but something was missing, and that's what's actually taken care of in verses 15 through 26. We see this new community saw to the replacement of Judas, and it was a prophesied replacement. Here we see Peter taking leadership, and again, through chapter 15, he is the main character. But here, here we say, we have not just 11 apostles in that room. We see there's a group of about 120 Now, if if you read 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time, and many commentators say that maybe most of them lived up in Galilee. So we have a group of 120 here in this upper room, and there's about a 10-day period, and this seems to be right somewhere in here is where Peter takes leadership here, and he says this in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers The company of persons was in all about 120. And briefly, Peter, not running away now, is leading. Peter, not denying, is now proclaiming. Isn't it cool? Does God change people and transform them? Yes, he does. And by the way, 120, we'll say 500 because of the the group that saw the resurrection. What did they do in a short period of time by the power of the Spirit? It rocked Israel. First sermon, we'll see that later, 3,000 new believers in, in one sermon. That would be a great sermon to preach. And then, and then a few weeks later, another, another few thousand joined the band. They estimate that maybe in the first few years that Israel had at least 100,000 believers. The, the church exploded. It starts with 120. We have 180 on a Sunday morning you think God can change things in this valley because of the church that wants to honor him? Absolutely. Not because of our gimmicks, but of being faithful. right? Faithful to his word. Faithful to love. Be people who are open our mouths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaimers. May that be us. May that be us. So it keeps going on. So Peter stood amongst the brothers. And we see that in Peter's understanding of God's plan has changed now. Instead of getting in the way, he sees, he sees that God's plan included having a traitor amongst the, the disciples. It, he sees that God, God it, it has sovereignly orchestrated all this. And it was necessary that there be a traitor, but it's now necessary to replace him. So we see in verses 16 and 17, it says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand, By the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. The the key phrase in here is, had to be fulfilled. See, prophecy will be fulfilled. God's word is his revealed will and plan. And Peter now sees this. Again, when Jesus says, I've got to go to die at Jerusalem, what does Peter say? Uh, No way. You can't do this. And what did Jesus have to say to him? Get behind me. Satan. Whoa. But now Peter sees. He sees. And again, this is another thing where he sees Scripture. Now, and again, it's a convincing proof. God had a plan all along. And again, by the mouth of David in here, that's one of one of the clearest statements in Scripture, that of the inspiration of Scripture. The Holy Spirit working through David communicated exactly what God wanted him to communicate. This is God's word through David. Later on, he'll be quoting from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. These were psalms that David wrote about the enemies who were attacking him. But here, Peter takes these psalms and applies them to Judas as the enemy against Jesus as the son of David, the greater David. So he's just applying this saying, look, this was prophesied. The anointed one, the promised one has an enemy and and it was God's plan to use even this to accomplish his greater plan of redemption. In Peter's mind, God is sovereign, including even the one who would infiltrate and eventually betray the Savior. This is part of God's plan. God can turn evil to good. That's a takeaway, folks. When tough things happen, Things that are life-changing, potentially life-ending. Is God still in charge? Is he in charge of you? Is he in charge of me? I love Psalm 23. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you look at the first part of that psalm, it it looks like the the shepherd is leading the sheep all the way through, but then it changes right there. Has the shepherd left the sheep when you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death? No. No. It's implied in there that the shepherd has led you even into that valley. So God is in charge. And he has good things in store for us. Whether it's now or in the future. Whether it's in this life or in the next. But here we see... Peter, he sees God's hand in this. And this is so important for us to see. And I mentioned this in the class I was teaching this morning. Genesis 50, 20 is one of my favorite Old Testament passages that backs up Romans eight twenty eight and 29. We have a man, Joseph, after years of suffering at the hands of evil men, mostly his brothers, for years isolated away from his own people in a land he, he didn't know, a language he didn't speak, and he was falsely accused by his boss's wife. He was imprisoned for it. Then he was forgotten in prison for years and years. And yet when he had the chance to get back at his brothers, they thought he was going to. They pled with him, oh, they're afraid. Because and and, Jacob had died, his dad. And they thought, now's the time. He didn't get us before when dad was alive. But now that he's dead, he's going to get us back. And here's what he said to them. Listen to this. As for you... You meant evil against me. He called sin, sin. And it was evil what they did. But listen to this. But God meant it for good. So God was still in charge of these evil men and their actions to accomplish his good purposes. And here's the good purposes. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The Jewish people. He kept the Israelites safe during a worldwide famine. Peter, God is still in charge. Matter of fact, Judas, though it was, he's the son of perdition. What he did was absolutely evil, yet God had that in in his plan. God's still in charge, and we should be encouraged by that. And and this is is where he, he starts, he talks, he does a little side note here about Judas in verses 18 through 20. Now this man, referring to Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. That's a little grotesque, I understand that. And it became known to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So again, real quickly, Judas, we, we find out in, in, in the Gospels that he went and he hung himself. Well, here it says that he fell down and he burst open. Well, how do you put those two together? Well, how about he hung himself and maybe the branch broke or the rope and after a body is dead, it it you know, decomposes or whatever. And when it hits the ground, it probably exploded a little bit. All right, so put the two, don't think that the scriptures are full of mistakes here. This is just how you put those two together. And again, it's pretty gross. But but this this field, did he buy the field? No, he took, what did he do with that money that he got? The 30, sh- he threw it back at them. But you know what? They took that money and they couldn't use it for temple service. So they took it and they bought a field with it, the potter's field. And and it's by, they Bought it basically on his behalf. That's why it would be called known as the, as the field of blood. It was bought with blood money. So that's just a little site. And by the way, that the traditional site is on the southeast corner of Jerusalem where the two of the valleys come together. That's just a little tidbit. But, but here we also see Peter, again, quoting from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, showing how in, that there were scriptures to show that this was God's plan all along. Matter of fact, let another take his office is where we see that is God revealed will that Judas his place in the twelve should be replaced, and that's what happens in verses twenty one and twenty two. So, so one of the men, this is Peter, continuing to talk. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, living life together during his ministry, beginning from the baptism of John. Until the day when he was taken up from us. So from the beginning of his ministry, when he was baptized, to the the ascension. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Not just a witness of the resurrection, but a witness about the resurrection. That was the job of the apostles, be witnesses, testifiers. But again, here's the deal. The apostles were utterly unique. Okay? Jesus spent all night praying before he started to pick them, and he picked 12, and the thing is, hey, there needs to be one replaced, so there's two requirements. The two requirements is one, they had to be with them during that three-year period, so they were around the instruction, the example, the guidance of Jesus, all the way from his baptism all the way to the ascension, and the key thing is that they were witnesses of the resurrected Jesus, so those were the two requirements, all right? So that's they they have to be they had to have those specific requirements. But here's the deal: this means there's an implication of this today. There are no new apostles. There are certain brands of Christianity that have apostles. New apostolic band of what they have all sorts of different names from, but that's that's not the case. There was only 12 apostles. Now they apostles, the word okay the apostle there's a small a apostle and that's us sent ones we are all sent ones but capital a the 12 the 12 original ones there's no new ones coming along because no one alive today spent three years under the teaching of jesus nor did they see jesus when he was resurrected physically all right so that's just a little side note because there are those who claim to be apostles today and they are not so it's only these 12. Matter of fact, if there's further proof that these 12 were unique, because in Acts 12, James, one of the apostles died. Did they replace him? They did not. Okay, so just, that's just a little side note out of Scripture to help us understand. And, and, and when we hear these men claiming to be, you know, apostles just like the original apostles, that's not true. So they picked Matthias. And this is the fulfillment of God's, direction of psalm 109 and again it was jesus who had selected him Matthias himself just like he had with the other 12 again why 12 because again he had made the promise, he had told them you are going to be the judges of the 12 tribes of israel In matthew and luke and revelation so these 12 were to be the men and they put forward two so the communities put forward two and the two were Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and the other is Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which, which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So first of all, they used godly wisdom. They had requirements for who this man was supposed to be, right? So they used some godly wisdom. Again, this kind of gives us a good, good paradigm for making decisions in our own life. But what they did is they used godly wisdom. Again, that, so that was the first thing. And then they sought Jesus' guidance. You, Lord, who know the hearts of men, you know the one you have chosen, right? And then what did they do? They cast lots. Now, we don't cast lots today. Why did they cast lots? Well, that's what they did in the Old Testament. That's how that was the form of how they would cast lots after praying to seek God's guidance. And so what it is, is they're surrendering to the choice of God. Here's here's the godly men. We're praying about it, Lord, make it clear to us. And they cast lots. But after this point, we'll see in the very next week, but in the next chapter, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. From that point on, we don't see lots being used by the people of God. What do they do? They pray for wisdom and direction from the Holy Spirit. Here they use lots. But this is, again, this is the last time. But, but they say, so, so they, they put forward these two men, and they make this little side note, right, about Judas. <laughs> you know, where it says that Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Well, he was the son of perdition. Where does he belong? He's in hell. That was the consequences of his unrepentant rejection and betrayal of the Lord. They prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show us which of the two that you've chosen. The, this, this, this man, Matthias, was numbered with the apostles. It was as if Jesus had selected him just like they did he, he had the other 11. So he took their place, and now here's the deal. The stage is set. The group of 12 is established because if Jesus were to come back, Right away, they need to have their 12 set and ready to go, right? So they're ready to go. They're patiently waiting in Jerusalem. They're prayerfully united, and they're worshiping. They're joyfully praising God constantly. Again, they weren't just in the upper room. Luke tells us they were also in the temple, praising God, rejoicing. And they had purpose to seek Jesus and his leading. They're in a wait for the spirit temple, so the stage is set. And that's what we get next week. We start we get to see what happens on the 50th day after the resurrection called Pentecost. So we'll talk about we'll we'll learn some uh, cultural things about the feasts of Israel. If you've never studied them before, it should be interesting. So this is it. This is a, a, a body praising God, praying to God, united together standing in the in, in this again, they're going to be persecuted. There's no doubt. Just like their Lord had been persecuted, they were going to. He told them that would happen. And yet here they are joyfully praising God and waiting for his power from on high. So may we be a church that's prayerful. May we be a church that's praising God and full of joy that we can't stop, we can't hide. And may we be a church that readily identifies, oh, I'm part of Bethany. You know that church up there? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I belong. That's my group of people and we love God. I tell that people all the time. Just straight up and be bold about it. Right? We were, we're adopting my two nephews and all over the application. We love Jesus and we want them to know the love of Jesus. We're not hiding it. Right? We'll see what the Lord does. May that church, may that be us as a church. Amen? Let me pray and then we'll have our time of prayer together. Lord, we thank you. For the example we have of, of people just like us living, breathing with fears and desires and goals and, and, and emotions. And here they are in, a, in just a, such an unusual time, seeing you, the risen Lord, seeing you ascend to heaven and, and now waiting for the promise of the Spirit. God, I just, what an amazing time in history. And Lord, we're the recipients of that history. We, we stand 2,000 years later, but we've seen the power of what you do through people who are faithful, available, teachable, humble, desiring to be used by you. And God, uh, that, I thank you for this. I thank you that we have the, these example of flawed, imperfect people who you change and transform and use for your glory. God, as we pray now as a group, as a church, Lord, may we uh, just joyfully rejoice in you and pray to you because you're our only hope. We want to lean on your omnipotence. So unite us in spirit, God. Unite us as friends, as family members. Unite us in, in purpose to glorify you and to grow and to help each other change and grow for your glory and our good. So we love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.